0: If somebody gives you a crack in the door, they kind of give you a little bit of glimmer of, of hope that they'll talk to you, then do everything they say. That's number one. And I think number two is like, understand that if they're super successful, their time is valuable. And I'm not saying to not, you know, you don't have to pay everybody, but just understand what you're asking them.
1: This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Seth Teagle. Seth is a former firefighter and paramedic that was in that job for 22 years, but he's become financially independent through real estate investing, and today we're going through his story of getting started as a real estate investor, how he invested in himself, in his skills, in his network to get that first deal across the finish line. It was a 50-unit multifamily that he got into after really investing in building his network and skills and so much more. Today, we're going through that process of how he got into that first deal and ultimately how that first deal went. Then he scaled from there and became financially independent through real estate investing. Today, he operates over $185 million in commercial real estate. So much knowledge in this interview. You're going to learn so much and be very inspired to move forward in your own real estate investments. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Vode. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus primarily on multifamily and self-storage investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, and schedule a call, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. That's when we're here. That's when we're doing it. That's when we're helping you build wealth on Main Street. Once again, our guest today is Seth Teagle. Without any further ado, here we go. Seth, thanks so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do in real estate and where you come from?
0: Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I am a, I guess you could call me a syndicator or sponsor, land developer, kind of all things commercial. That's primarily what we do at this point. And where I came from was 22 years in the fire service. So I was a firefighter paramedics from the time I was 18 until what last year was the last was officially my last day on the books. But yeah, got into real estate probably seven years ago and scaled a commercial pretty quickly and have kind of gone from there.
1: That's great. That's great. And I'd love to go through your story of progressing from the hustle of being a firefighter and paramedic, the the hard work in there to getting into financial freedom through real estate investing. So let's rewind the clock and talk about how you started investing in real estate and what your life looked like at that time.
0: Yeah. So I started really kind of having real estate on my radar, probably 2014 ish. And I was, it was interesting because I had already had a daughter and then my wife got pregnant again, but she, we were having twins, which was quite the shocker for us. And as we were kind of prepping for that to happen, I realized I was kind of like, I kind of was looking around and, and thinking, you know, how am I going to make this work with the money that I was making at the time? And, you know, in and tr- and by traditional sense, I wasn't making, I wasn't making a quarter of a million dollars a year, but I wasn't making no money either. You know, I was kind of in the, in the middle there. We do pretty well in central Ohio as firefighter medics, but. I was realizing that, you know, the only option I had was to put my head down and work harder in order to work overtime and, and just continue to put demand on myself to be able to earn more. And I did that for the first year the twins were born. I worked a thousand hours of overtime that year on top of my regular schedule. And at the end of the year, my wife and I kind of were reflecting and we're like, why is, why are we having such, I wouldn't say issues, but I mean, it was a lot of stress. And when I looked back at it, I thought, man, you know, I, I was at the firehouse for six months out of 12, like day and night, full I mean, when you, when you, when you mapped it all out and I thought, well, this is not sustainable. And so it was around that time that I met or I reconnected with a college roommate of mine who, when I went into the fire service back in 2000, he went into real estate and he was originally going to be a realtor. But when I connected with him, he was not a realtor. He was a real estate investor at that time. He was a multimillionaire. He was doing single family homes, rentals, flips, wholesaling. He was teaching courses on flipping. And I was like, Matt, like what happened? Like, how did you go from the guy that I shared an apartment with to this guy? And he just walked me through his journey of real estate and how he started off as a realtor, and then he was seeing these checks that these investors were making on the other side of the table, and he was like, "Man, I'm I'm doing this wrong. This is the wrong side to be on." And you know, he gave me three action steps that I tell everybody back then was to read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad, which I'd never heard of. Which yes, it's in your it's on your shelf there, I love it. Read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. He said, find a real estate meetup and get a mentor, and he didn't tell me all the first thing he said was, you got to go read this book, read this book and come back to me. So I did that. And I'm like, two days later, I'm like, Hey, I'm back. I read it. Holy cow. I've never heard of assets and liabilities. I didn't understand, you know, how that all worked. And it was just such a mind altering book for me because I had never been taught that I grew up in a blue collar family. Both parents worked very hard, but had never been taught that, never taught that to me. And so then he said, well, you need to find a local real estate meetup. And ultimately, through that, you need to find a mentor. You need to find somebody that's willing to give you the time of day to kind of help you get started, to guide you and kind of be your training wheels. And so I did that. And the one of the real estate meetups I joined, I met a contractor who lived in my area and he was flipping houses. And I started, you know, after we kind of built a little bit of a relationship, I was like, look, you know, let me take you to, to, to lunch. And I want to kind of talk to you about this. And so we did. And, and just through talking, I could hear that his main problem was that he wanted to flip more houses, but he couldn't because he could not find a reliable project manager to help him scale. And I thought, well, I, you're in luck because I got, I work 24 hour hour shifts. I got two days off. I'm, I got a construction background. I've done building inspections, fire inspections. I know the building code in Ohio. Like I can be your guy. And I was like, all I want in return is to teach me what you know. And I'm very good with like hands on, like on the job training. And so for 14 months, I worked for him doing that. Eventually, shortly after that, a couple of months, I started managing his property. So he had about 20 rental units. And I did that for 14 months, basically free of charge. I in it for the education, bringing value to him, making him money. But through that, I learned I didn't want to flip houses and I didn't want to have a ton of single family rentals all over the place because I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off. And I, it was another job, right? I'd go from the firehouse to working with him. And it was a job. It was very labor intensive. I saw him heavily involved in the business. If he wasn't there, things slowed down. It was directly impacted. And then there was a lot of flips where, you know, maybe one, he made 50 grand, but then on the next one, he lost 20 grand. And then the other one, maybe the third one, he broke even. And then it was just kind of all over the place. And I was like, this is not what I want. I wanted time freedom. I wanted to be able to have that time back with my family, that my kids were young. And kind of through that time, I I had heard a lot of stuff about multifamily and really just said. I think that's the way I need to go as many doors as I can under one roof. There's scalability there. There's economies of of scale and purchasing power and all those different things. And I thought that's like, I had to go big enough in order to be able to hire somebody to do the work. So that way I could focus on my family and, and just kind of making sure that the thing works. So that's, that's what I did. The, the, I think I, I closed my first apartment deal in 2015, the end of 2015. And it was a 50 unit. It was me and one investor and we were off to the races. Wow. So,
1: so much there. I'd like to really draw a circle around, if you will, or, or highlight that you worked for your, your friend for your or your mentor for 14 months for free. And it sounds like if I'm reading between the lines, just to get the scheduling down and everything, you had stopped doing that thousand hours a year of overtime in order to do Correct. that. So you took a pay cut to do it and there was a pretty significant opportunity cost, but That was an investment in your knowledge and skills and education and network.
0: Yeah, because that was when I went to the bank. Well, I went to six banks. The sixth one said yes. But when I went to all the banks trying to get a loan for the first deal, I had no rental units. I had never owned anything specifically, but what I had now was a resume. And I knew I explained it to my wife when I was doing it. I'm like, look, this stinks, right? We're going to have to tighten our belts, live a little leaner, but I'm building a resume to when I like I knew it would take off. I knew that this would, you know, it would work. And so that's what that's what that time. Yeah, I worked for free in essence, but I gained a resume. I gained that on the job experience. I gained the confidence I needed to to move into the next phase. And you know, that that was that was what I got out of it.
1: Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that, you know, your your wife got on board and went along with the plan and you know, it worked out and you had a plan to invest and and invest in yourself and then move forward. And I think when Real estate investors talk about investing in yourself. It's kind of, it can be hard to think of examples of ways in which to do that. And you just gave us a a really excellent one. So let's talk about that first deal that you did. You brought in one investor. I mean, how did you meet them? Just tell us, walk us through the actual process of closing on that property because people talk about the law of the first deal. That was the first deal. So tell us about it.
0: Yeah. So I had that law in my mind the whole time. I was thinking, I just got to do whatever I got to do to get the first one done. So I found the deal. I you know I was kind of figuring out what what I got to do how to do it I I made up a rudimentary buying criteria there was no like in my local area here in Central Ohio there was no brokers that I knew at the time there's none in my immediate area I live in Licking County which is like where Intel's building and it's, it's like blowing up right now but where I live there was no like commercial brokerages and so I I just took this buying criteria went to every real estate office that I had primarily residential and I said hey if you have a, if you have somebody comes in and is looking to sell something like this and it met, you know, if it matches any of these things on this paper here, call me, I'm a buyer. And it was probably a month later, somebody called me and and the lady was like, look, I got a guy, long-term client. He's looking to offload some of his portfolio. One of them is a 50 unit and it's in this market. It was a rural market outside of Columbus. And I thought, well, I want to go, I, I needed to scale and I needed to, the way I looked at it was the most doors I could buy with the money that we had. So. Between myself and the other investor, and again, I had no money in the bank. I was a fireman, kids, but what I had was equity in my house. So I accessed my home equity line of credit, went and created a HELOC. The investor had, he was a he was a gentleman in his early 60s at the time. We had built a relationship by me going to, like during that 14 months, I'd been going to real estate meetups, building relationships, networking, built a relationship with him, had basically sold him on the idea of going bigger than he'd ever dreamed. And I was like, this is how we do it. This is how we can be successful. This is why I believe it will work. And he bought into it. And I said, look, if he had never done a cash-up refi on the properties that he had, and he'd had, a, you know, so he, I said, you know, how much could you pull out if you, if you did a cash-up refi, how much could you pull out? Well, let's look at that number, then take the number that I could get for my house, which is about a hundred thousand in equity that I had. And I said, if we put our money together. What can we buy? And I said, now I'll go out and find something that fits in that amount and we'll go from there. So I went out and I found this 50 unit. We paid 1.7 million for it we between the two of us and I actually ended up having to bring in like a hard money lender at the end. That was a friend of mine. Cause we were the bank. Part of the the lending story is the bank that finally did the loan originally said we could put down 20%. Then they came back the week before closing and said, nah, it needs to be 25. We didn't have the extra 75,000. So I went to a guy that does hard money lending for house flippers. And I was like, Jeff, here's the deal. Here's the property, you know, yada, yada, yada. Would you loan me 75 grand? And he's like, well, because I know you I'll lend it to you. He took second position, which is abnormal. We paid high interest, but I had to get the deal done. Again, law of the first deal. But for lending from a lending perspective, you know, I didn't realize that there were different banks that had different appetites for loans and that were interested in different types of product or different types of real estate. Some are strictly residential. Some, you know, they don't want to lend over a million dollars to any one person. Like there's there's banks have different criteria or boxes that they want to get involved with. So I basically went to five banks that were the wrong banks because I didn't know any better. And every one of them said, oh, I, you know, you call, qual- I had a great W2. I had great credit. You qualify the deal qualifies, but you don't have enough experience. That was some of the, of what I heard. Then the other ones were, well, you don't have enough network and liquid net worth and liquidity. That was another roadblock. And I just, you know, I, I, I was taking no for an answer. Like I knew that this deal could change my life if if we could get it to work. And I just kept going. And then finally through, again, networking, an attorney that I knew was like, hey, you should call this lender. I've done a bunch of deals with her and they can do a lot of deals that don't like their box is a little bit more malleable because they keep the loans on their books. And so that was it. I've got connected with her, gave her the the pitch, gave her the pro forma and they did the loan. And I learned quickly after that, that you really don't like, you don't know what you don't know is, is true. I went into that deal undercapitalized. I went into a C-class property with, with no real plan other than what I had ever heard on podcasts and YouTube and whatever. And we went from a 96% occupied to about 76 in the first month. And I had no, now it's like you plan for it. But back then I had no idea there was nobody for me to ask. And so it was like, we basically had a, a ton of people move out that first month because they realized that we, well, first of all, we let go of the manager that was there. The manager had like five or six family members living in the complex. So when he left, they left. And then we had other people that were non-payers or were, they were into to drugs and other issues. They just left in the middle of the night because they knew the gig was up, right? We had real management coming in, professional management. And so the first payout I got was barely enough to cover the expenses. And I, I had, my original plan was, for me and like one or two other people to do the renovations because we were just going to do them slow and kind of work our way through, well, we ended up having call i want to say almost fifteen units vacant, and I'm, I was like, well, clearly I, my plan's shot you know I can't go through and renovate that many that fast and, and it not be a problem, so I had to change my tactics, but you know I realized calling a, a friend who had apartments, he was like, you need to, you need to raise some money because that was one of the downside things was the bank I went with gave me no money for renovations. And I had enough money in the bank to do them slowly. I didn't have enough money in the bank to do 15 at one time. So I had to really kind of pivot within the first month.
1: Wow. So that is quite the roller coaster ride here, but it still feels like we're, I don't know, we're on the downswing. So how did you get that capital? Like where did that come from?
0: So really it was when, when I talked to, to Jack, who was, he was a former fireman who had left the fire service to be a, a, he had, I think his portfolio was about 800 doors at the time. He was like, you got to go raise capital, man. He's like, there's no, there's no other way for you to do this. You got to go out and raise private money. And I'm blessed to say that I had a a pool of people that believed in me and believed in my integrity and how I operated, that they were willing to give me money on just a simple note that we did. And I raised about $200,000. Pretty quick. I mean, I'd say within a month. Which again, it was it just was crazy how it all lined up. But we ended up having enough money to do all the renovations. I was able to hire a team of contractors to come in and help me and kind of oversee it. And I mean, there was a lot of I say blood, sweat, and tears. I was still pulling twelve hour days down there every day. I was at the firehouse. I was getting off, driving to the property. I was overseeing those guys. I was running material. Some of the bigger capex projects, like we needed new windows. There's 138 of them, and I know exactly because I installed every one of them and sealed them. <laughs> and you know, I did. I, so I was still actively down there working but I and I and I couldn't have done it any other way like if if I would have been a, a hands-off investor and bought this and just thought that I was going to pay like I wouldn't have had enough money to do what I did so I was just I mean again I was in it right if I had bet on myself and had I didn't have any other options I guess you know like if it failed I was going bankrupt because I'd personally signed on all the loans we would lose all the money and I made a bunch of promises to people that that they they were going to get specific returns and I wasn't going to let this one you know I, I I didn't have like failure wasn't an option. So I was all in and, but you know, like I said, when we got to the end, you know, there's, there's so many lessons learned. It would take longer than the time we have, but I got to the end. and we did our refinance. We pulled out 1.2 million in new equity. And I was like, this was life-changing, you know, (laughs) and everybody got paid back and I had enough money left over to go buy another one. And so I did, I bought the second one I bought within what, maybe 2016, 2017, somewhere in there. And it was around that second one that I was about three quarters of the way renovate, through renovating it, where I realized that this no longer had to be like a side hustle or a hobby. This could become my career. I started having back problems with the fire department. You know, I, I ended up having two back surgeries, but early on I was like, you know, this really could be something that if I can't do the job anymore, then I could pivot to this and do it full time. And, and that was kind of where the fire got lit in me to not just think of this as a one-off investment strategy, but to like it become a career. And so you know, we kind of took off from there.
1: Wow. There's so much there. That was quite the, uh, quite the story to go through. Very interested in your skills, especially as they were early on in building connections at these networking events, because a lot of people, you know, myself included at the beginning, kind of struggle with that or don't know exactly what to do to really build a connection where you could maybe, you know, work with somebody in the future in, in some way. How did you approach that? Especially in the beginning when you hadn't done anything, you were clearly doing something right. If all of those folks are willing to do a deal with you.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I think that, you know, being vulnerable and just putting yourself out there and realizing like, Hey, this feels super uncomfortable. Like it was, you know, when I was riding the fire truck, I was a Lieutenant on a rescue. Like I knew everything, right? I felt very confident, very comfortable there. That was my wheelhouse. But going into a real estate meetup where I've never done any kind of investing like this, I was like the new guy. And I just had to like accept that, you know, and and I think I just had to push myself beyond my comfort zone and know that it was going to hurt. Like it was going to, it was not going to feel good. Right. It's like, you know, you just have to push through that. I think a lot of people, they get, they don't like that uneasy feeling. And so they let that kind of control them. But I was like, I, I, you know, I kind of feel like I had no other options. So I, I think that I was willing to put myself out there. I was willing to I think I, I would say that putting myself out there, I was there consistently. I was constantly trying to meet new people. I was constantly sitting at a different table. I was constantly going up to people, Hey, my name's Seth. Well, here's what I'm trying to do. But I was also actively listening. I was actively listening for a, a crack in the door of somebody who was doing bigger things than me, of like, how can I provide value? How can I get in there and do something? Because I knew I knew that I I knew what I could offer somebody. I knew I had integrity. I knew I would show up. I knew I would outwork anybody else. I knew that I had ran teams and been in high stress situations and been able to make decisions under pressure. And, you know, like there's a ton of things that I could bring to the table. It just, I'd never bought a rental property, you know? And so I thought, well, how can I craft that in a way where I can bring value to somebody, even though, yeah, you're right. Like this guy has got three single family homes. He's got more experience than I do doing rentals, but I can bring all of these things and just kind of add it to what he's already doing. And maybe that's, its fuel for his fire and so that's the the original guy that ended up mentoring me like you know i think we kind of talked about before was that's what i brought to him i heard like through a couple different meetings that that was his problem was that he couldn't find a project manager that was trustworthy that wasn't showing up drunk that wasn't showing up on drugs it was that would actually show up that wouldn't steal from him like whatever and i'm like man like this is a no brainer and they're like here's all i'm asking give me some on the job training teach me kind of what you know let me ask some questions but i'll work for you like i'll i'll work everybody else that you have And that was ultimately what opened the floodgates for me as far as knowledge and being able to understand what's what is because I became an asset for him that propelled his, his company and what his goals were. I propelled him to the next level by just filling a a role that he couldn't get filled otherwise. And, you know, and then, and then I was able to gain confidence too. I had no money on the line. That was the thing for me, right? Was that I was able to learn from his mistakes. I was able to see what he was doing right or wrong. I never told him it was wrong. But I'm like, hmm, I wouldn't do that. If, if this is my property, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go cheap on these plumbing fixtures because it's just going to break after the first tenant or, you know, whatever. And so it, it gave me the confidence to know, like we talk, talked to people, will talk about analysis paralysis. And the reason why I feel like a lot of people have that is it's out of fear. Like they, they have to eliminate all risk before they'll jump in and do something new where really if they had the experience to go along with what they're looking at, they, they would, that that risk factor or that anxiety kind of goes down or goes away. And I think that's what I gained working with him was was the knowledge and the skills and abilities. And it allowed me to get funding for that first deal and to be confident awesome. that I could do it.
1: Yeah, that's, that's great. Did you, so I love that you mentioned about like the mindset and the way in which you approach these networking situations, building relationships with the people and specifically things that you are listening for, ways to add value. When it, especially early on, were you trying to Have conversations, you know, offline with people, folks, oftentimes newbies will go to more experienced investors say, Hey, can I, you know, buy, take you to coffee and pick your brain or whatever. Was that part of your strategy as
0: well? You know, some, but I, I just, I recognized that, you know, anybody that's super successful in doing this, you know, their, their time is a value. And if you're a new person and you want somebody's time, you can offer to pay them. Just come sit down with you. You know I mean? Again, how, uh, cause to me, like my time is worth more than a $2 coffee. No offense to the person that wants to learn what I'm doing, but if that's what, if you're like calling me and Hey, I, can I get you a coffee? No, I don't have time for that. But if you're like, Hey, I, like for instance, I, one of our partners, he's very, very successful in real estate. He had a guy that said, Hey, I'll Venmo you 1500 bucks right now for an hour of your time. And just the, the fact that that guy said that to our partner, his name, my partner's name is Tim. He's like, just because he offered Tim the money, Tim didn't take it, but because he was, he was that committed to buying an hour of his time, understanding that Tim's worth was a lot. Tim's like, dude, I don't need your money. Like, I'll just give me a call and we'll talk. And that got his foot in the door with Tim, you know? And so that's the thing is that I think that, that people that don't value their own time don't value other people's time. And again, I'm not saying that my time is worth $1,500 an hour, But it is worth more than $2 coffees. And like, as much as I want to, as much as I want to get to know everybody, right? I would say for every one person that I've ever had that actually took, grabbed the bull by the horns and took the action steps that I've given them, there's probably 20 that don't. And I don't know how, like, I don't know how to decipher that upon meeting you. How do I know whether or not you're an action taker or you're just going to be a tire kicker and, you know, you want my time. I give you time. We go have coffee. I tell you what to do. You don't do it. Okay, then how many times can I do that before I'm like, dude, this is taking up all my time. Like, I don't have, you know, we're building a company, we're doing big developments, we're doing huge projects. Like, I don't, I don't have time for that. And so that, that's where I I said. So most of the time, I, I, I won't say that I say no, but I, I will ask some kind of preview interview questions at this point of like, what you're, what are you trying to get out of this? What, what are your goals? What are you wanting to do? If they can actually communicate that to me correctly, then I will give them some action steps via email or via text or. Hey, go do these things, like my guy, right? The guy that I went to college with. He said, "Go read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad." Two days later, I was back on the phone with him, being "Like done, what's next?" That got me in the door with him. Okay, you need to go find a real estate meetup. Within a week, I was like, "Done," found the real estate meetup. What's next? You know, and that's and he, he told me that like that he's like that inspired me, got me excited to think you're actually going to listen to what I'm saying and you're actually going to do what I'm telling you. And so I think that that's the biggest thing is is if somebody gives you a crack in the door, they kind of give you a little bit of glimmer glimmer of, of hope that they'll talk to you, then do everything they say. That's number one. And I think number two is like, understand that if they're super successful, their time is valuable. And I'm not saying to not, you know, you don't have to pay everybody, but just understand what you're asking them. And, you know, I think that the, probably like the final thing would be is just knowing that a lot of people like to say, hey, you know, Meet up with this successful person. They're doing more than you are. Just ask them. Like, I want to provide value. Like, if that's all you say to me, you're you're putting more of a burden on me. I never understood this. Like, even two years ago, I'd been like, Oh no, it's a burden. But now it's like you're putting a burden on me to come up with a solution for you. Just mm-hmm. listen. Actively listen. Be around me. Be in the room with me. Whatever. Actively listen to what I'm talking about regularly. And maybe you hear it. like my guy. That when I first met with him, he never flat out asked me to be a project manager. I listened and I heard him constantly talking about a problem that he had. And I thought, Hmm, I can solve this problem. And so I said to him, Hey, let me be your project manager. I'll work for free. Just teach me, you know, over time, some, some things that, you know, and, and, you know, and it started off, he'd give me a little bit, a little bit of responsibility. And, and I did that successfully. He gave me a little bit more and a little bit more. And it ended up growing into this great thing that I ended up kind of, well, we're still good friends, but I ended up leaving it because I bought my first deal. You know, so I would say that those things are are things that I would tell people that new people anyways, or they want to, maybe they're rock stars at house flipping or single family. They want to get into commercial. Like, you know, it applies to whatever, you know, whether you're new to real estate or you're trying to change assets or you're trying to get bigger or, you know, whatever the case may be. Cause I, I still do it to this day with people that are doing bigger things than I am. So it's not like it's a one-time one and done.
1: Absolutely. Well, the, the bigger you get, you know, as they say, more money, more problems. You know, people still have problems all the way up the chain. I love how you approach that issue of looking for a problem and then finding a solution for it because I, I get that question as well. What can I do for you? Well, now you've given me a job to find you something to do. So, you know, I can't think of anything right now. But if you thought of something, that'd be great. I'm all yours. But anyway, right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Seth, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education?
0: Oh, so I'll, I, will, I will put the best investment, I'll, I'll loop that in with myself because that's probably the best investment that I ever continue to put in is myself. So I'll say that as far as education, I'll, I'll, I won't say that. I would say the best investment that I ever made was that first deal, even though it was a lot of work and it was a lot of stress and the, you know there's a lot of growing pains that went through that. Had I not done that, I would not have, like you said, law of the first deal. I it would, I, I never could have imagined when I'm hanging windows at this place where I'd be at today. But if I, if I wouldn't have taken that leap and bet on myself and made that investment, I'd probably still be. Actually, I wouldn't be riding the truck because I left because of my back. So I'd have been in a pretty tough spot right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment
0: you ever made? That's a good question too. I would say the worst has been, I bought a 40, 40 unit, four zero. We thought we covered all of our bases, did all the due diligence. We had inspections done. We did, I mean, we were very knowledgeable, thought we covered everything. And we missed pretty major issue with a parking lot that we ended up basically having to dig up and replace the entire parking lot and it killed our CapEx budget. So I would say that for me, the worst investment would probably have been that property, but we were able to swing it, make it work. We didn't have to go back to any investors that the deals, we still own it. it still cash flows very well, but you know, that was, if I could go back and do it again, I would give anything to have maybe dug a little bit deeper into why something was happening on a property rather than just, you know, my surface knowledge. And then I, we brought in one contractor who gave us a, he gave us a solution that we thought, Hmm, that sounds, that sounds right. And had we brought in maybe like two or three other ones for some varying opinions, maybe one of them would have found the underlying problem and we could have figured it out. Because had we had known it going in, we wouldn't have paid what we paid, or maybe we would have walked away completely from the deal. So
1: mm, interesting. Well, you know, sometimes we learn lessons the tough way. Speaking of which, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing?
0: Oh, I would say the most important lesson that I have learned is to hire A players and to terminate the C players or not hire them at all, you know, or, or some people will say hire, hire slow and fire quick. As we've built our team out and we've built our business out, you know, that has probably been mindset shift that I've had to to adjust to where every A player that I've ever spent the money on, or I've ever brought on the team has always made me money. And everybody else that I've ever said, well... They're a nice guy, or maybe I already pre- previously knew them. And I'm like, well, what, I got a role to fill. They need a job. Like I'll bring them in and, and have them do that. We can train them. It's never worked out and it's never, it's never been good. So I would say that the most important lessons that I've, I've learned is to, to, to just build the right team from the get go. And if you figure out after you've hired somebody that they're not the right fit, then let them go. I would say that that is probably that and just don't, don't scale too quick, right? Scaling sounds great. Getting big and buying all this stuff sounds awesome. But if you do it too fast, you don't have the the foundation laid to be able to, to manage it correctly and to just know what, you know, again, you don't know what you don't know. You can really run into problems. So I would say those are probably some important lessons I've learned along the way.
1: Nice. Well, Seth, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all these lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to Or anything like that where can they track you down
0: so they can find me on all social media platforms and most of the time if you just look up seth teagle you'll find me you can also look us up our websites are it's thestreamgroups.com for investing and if you're looking for kind of mentorship or one-on-one stuff you can go to the fire the com and take a look at those websites
1: Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to on the next one. Bye-bye.